Interested in a virtual field trip to one of four estuaries around the country next month? We'll tell you how you can participate. And where exactly is the point called Four Corners, the only place in the U.S. where four states meet up? Well, it's exactly where it's supposed to be. It's Wednesday, April 29th, 2009, and those stories are coming up today on Making Waves from NOAA's National Ocean Service. Our first story today is about a really cool program. It's called Estuary Live. Each year, since 2001, NOAA and the National Estuarine Research Reserve System host a series of live webcasts from estuaries around the country, and there's a different theme each year. You can think of this as sort of a virtual field trip. And this year, thousands of elementary, middle, and high school students will join scientists in the marshes and bays of four estuaries to learn about the impacts of climate change on the nation's coasts. The dates this year for the broadcast are May 1st and 15th, and I'll give you some more details about where to go to learn more in just a moment. But first... What exactly is an estuary, anyhow? Well, it's the place where fresh water meets the sea. These areas are popular hangouts for animals, birds, and fish. These bodies of water and surrounding wetlands are big sources of food. They're a place to breed. They're migration stopovers. And they're pretty important to humans, too. We rely on these areas for food, just like the animals do, as well as recreation, jobs, and help protect our coasts from ocean storms and erosion. And we humans also like to build cities on our estuaries. In fact, of the 32 largest cities in the world, 22 of them are located on estuaries. So as I mentioned, the estuaries featured in the Estuary Live broadcast this year are part of the National Estuarine Research Reserve System, or NAERS, and that's a partnership between NOAA and coastal states. These special areas form a protected network of estuaries around the country that cover over one million acres of land and water. So this year's webcast will consist of two 30-minute segments from three reserves on May 1st. And those three are the Hudson River Reserve in New York, the South Slough Reserve in Oregon, and the Padilla Bay Reserve in Washington. And on May 15th, the webcast will focus on Weeks Bay Reserve in Alabama. During the broadcast, scientists at the reserves will talk about subjects ranging from the animals and plants that live in their estuary to the physical demands of tides and rivers and the mingling of fresh and salt water that occurs in the estuary. And as we mentioned, this year's special focus area is climate change, so they'll also be discussing topics like rising sea level and warming water temperatures. And while there'll be some students actually on location at the different reserves, most students will participate over the internet. Students can email questions to the scientists, and those questions will be answered either on the air or by email after the presentation. And all of the programs will be archived on the web for later viewing if you miss it. And that goes for this upcoming broadcast as well as all the past Estuary Live programs. So you may be wondering where to go to check this out. It's at www.estuaries.gov, and that's E-S-T-U-A-R-I-E-S dot gov. And there you can check out the archive and register for the Estuary Live program. And while you're at estuaries.gov, you'll notice that Estuaries Live is just one of many resources on the site for students and teachers and really for anyone interested in learning more about our estuaries. So in addition to videos, you'll find complete classroom curricula, quizzes, an educational game, and a lot of other stuff. 
It's a fantastic site, so I hope you check it out. And again, that's at www.estuaries.gov. And if you like audio podcasts, which I'm hoping you do, for listening to this, you can hear an extended interview with estuary experts in the May 22nd edition of the Ocean Service's Diving Deeper. And that, of course, is at oceanservice.noaa.gov. You might have caught a story in the news this past week about the Four Corners. It's the only place in the U.S. where four states meet up. And those states are Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, and Utah. Well, there was some confusion over the position of a monument at Four Corners, this benchmark that marks a spot where the four states meet. Some reports claim that the position of the marker was off by as much as two and a half miles. Well, we're happy to report that it isn't. In fact, it's exactly where it's supposed to be. So here's the problem. There's a widely held misperception that the boundary between Colorado and Utah, the line of longitude, is 109 degrees west from Greenwich, England. As you might remember from your school days, longitude lines are the ones that stretch from the north to the south poles. And Greenwich, England is where the prime meridian is. That's zero degrees. It's the reference point from which everyone today measures how far east or west they are. And note that I said everyone today has adopted Greenwich as the prime meridian. It hasn't always been that way, as you're about to find out. Now imagine you trek out to the desert to visit Four Corners, and you've got a handheld GPS receiver, global positioning system, and at the site, you check your position. You expect it to read 109 degrees west, but it doesn't. It reads 109 degrees plus a little bit more. So what gives? Well, it turns out that the boundary between Colorado and Utah, the line of longitude, wasn't measured from Greenwich at all when it was recorded back in the 19th century. And it's not, and never has been, at 109 degrees west. So we asked Chief Geodetic Surveyor Dave Doyle of NOAA's National Geodetic Survey to help us explain this. The reality is that's not, that was never the definition of the western boundary of Colorado, eastern boundary of, of uh, uh, Utah. Uh, it's actually defined as being 32 degrees longitude west of the Washington meridian, Washington referring to the city of Washington, D.C., and the meridian referenced in that statute is what we now refer to as the Old Naval Observatory, which is in downtown Washington, D.C. That Old Naval Observatory has a, um, has a longitude that is not exactly 77 degrees west of, of Greenwich. It's 77 degrees, three minutes, and you know, depending depend on how you define it, about, uh, about four, almost five seconds. So when you add 32 degrees to that, you should come up with 109 degrees, three minutes, and roughly five seconds. And that three minutes and five seconds of longitude is roughly two and a half miles. And, and that's where the we believe the, the original discrepancy came from, is that somebody believed it should be at 109 degrees when that was never statutorily how it was defined. And this is where the misunderstanding comes from. The longitude of the position of the Four Corners Monument is based on a measurement taken in 1875, and the reference point used then was in Washington, D.C. This was before the prime meridian was adopted as the standard of measurement by the whole world. So it was very common uh, at that time for uh, countries or small groups of countries 
to have their own local longitude orientation. So the, the French had the Paris Observatory, the, the British used Greenwich, the Germans used Potsdam, so, and it goes on and on. So we had our own uh, national meridian. Now, if you use today's modern tools to measure that distance from the old naval observatory to the Four Corners boundary, you'd find that the position of the monument is just a bit off, somewhere between 1350 and 1800 feet. And that discrepancy is because the tools used in 1875 weren't as accurate. They weren't nearly as accurate as the tools we use today. And to a lesser degree, there's also a slight variation that depends on where and how you measure from the old naval observatory. Doyle said that this is very common, and it's an everyday issue in the world of surveying. Uh, Many, many, many of the parcels that everybody occupies every day are defined by descriptions, that is, uh, directions and distances, that in some cases go back several hundred years and were measured with technologies 200 years ago that are in no way comparable to, to current technology. So it's, it's not at all unusual to find a distance or a direction or, in this case, a position, a coordinate, um, that is, in some cases, significantly different from what we might anticipate had we been given the luxury 200 years ago of doing this with contemporary technology such as the global positioning system. So now you might be saying to yourself, aha, so the monument isn't in the right spot after all. Well, actually it is, and this is the last piece of the puzzle. Even though the marker is not precisely 32 degrees west of the Naval Observatory when measured with today's tools, that's irrelevant. And that's because the four states that make up the four corners all agreed long ago that the monument, well, it marks the spot. And this is what's important to keep in mind about surveying. It's about precision and science, but it's also about history and statutory law. Doyle said that the original 1875 surveyor, a man named Chandler Robbins, got it right. The Four Corners Monument is exactly where it's supposed to be. It's in its true location. It is in the it is exactly where the surveyor of the time placed it. Given the technology that he enjoyed, given the conditions that he had to work under, Mr. Robbins placed that monument exactly where he was directed to, which was 32 degrees west of the city of, of the meridian of Washington. What he lacked was the contemporary surveying technology that we have today. So in his mind, and based upon all of his observations and his calculations, he placed the monument exactly 32 degrees longitude west of the the Naval Observatory. And that is exactly where where it should be, Uh, even though its numerical difference today might differ uh, by 1,800 feet, or perhaps even even if it were two, two and a half miles, it would become irrelevant because the monument has subsequently been accepted by all four states as defining the legal boundary, and therefore it is the monument of record, and in surveying, monuments control. Well, special thanks to Dave Doyle of the National Geodetic Survey for helping us to sort this out. If you'd like to learn more about geodetic control monuments, better known as benchmarks, or how geodetic surveying is done today, or about the other roles and missions of the National Geodetic Survey, head over to geodesy.noaa.gov 
And that's G-E-O-D-E-S-Y dot NOAA dot gov. And let's give Dave Doyle the last word today on this story. It, certainly it's been you know, interesting to, uh, to deal with this particular uh, issue. And what we're really hopeful at, at NGS, National Geodetic Survey, what we're really hopeful is that this will inspire others uh, to take a little bit more interest in, in geography and spatial relationships uh, and perhaps investigate some of the, the work that's being done by uh, not only NOAA, the National Geodetic Survey, but many other institutions in the country and around the world. That's all for this episode. If you have any questions about this week's podcast, about the National Ocean Service, or about our ocean, send us an email, and we're at nos.info at noaa.gov. And let's bring in the ocean. This is Making Waves from NOAA's National Ocean Service. We'll be back with our next episode on May 13th.